0: Thank you for coming back tonight. I know that families have had a full day, and uh, certainly understandable that you uh, would not choose to be here, but that you're here is uh, an encouragement. And I hope that you're enjoying the study that we have been working through. We are now on lesson number four of a five part series on prayer. As we have discussed, Prayer is, uh, of course, widely discussed in the Bible, but for Sunday nights, we're just simply choosing to focus on the areas where Jesus taught the apostles about prayer. And so we're going to look at that tonight. I do have a bit of a project in this sermon that I need some help with. Specifically, John Dunham needs some help with. Uh, John, would you stand up so people kind of see? the a handsome fellow in the blue shirt back there. Uh, we need five or six volunteers. If you just go back, five or six gentlemen, please. Just raise your hand or just go back there. Uh, uh, five or six gentlemen who love Jesus and who'd be willing to help. And uh, uh, John will give you further instructions and uh, we'll cue you at the appropriate time. Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorites to read, to study, to think about. He's not a perfect man, nor does he have perfect doctrine, uh, but does any preacher. He has said much on the subject of prayer, but I found this quote during my study this week, and I thought it was appropriate as we started. He wrote, My own soul's conviction is that prayer is the grandest power in the entire universe. It has a more omnipotent force than electricity, attraction, gravitation, or any other of those secret forces which men have called by name, but which they do not understand. I think Spurgeon hit it right on the head. A prayer is such a powerful force And yet, very often, it seems like we do not avail ourselves of its power. Which is a little bit silly if you think about it. Now, for those of you who have volunteered, I appreciate your willingness to volunteer, but you'll be standing for a long time if you keep standing. So you can have a seat, and I'll call you at a later time. But thank you for your willingness to stand up for Jesus. Back to forces. Imagine, if you will, if you're a Star Wars fan or you enjoy that. Imagine that movie without the use of the Force. It wouldn't make much sense. I mean, it, it would. It wouldn't seem as as great that the, the Jedi's had this power. It was so great, and 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 it enhanced every one of their own abilities. Well, uh, it's not a perfect analogy, but prayer is a powerful force that we are remiss if we do not use and so i hope that this prayer uh, the series has taught us more about prayer but i want tonight to delve into the why we pray to get into the specifics of what gets us there and how we can go about being more diligent in our personal Prayer life. Personally, I think anything we do, we've got to start with the question, why? Now, why is a scary question and a dangerous question to people who don't like to think. Uh, If you have ever been involved in a bureaucracy where people just go by the manual or just go by the rules, they can't think for themselves, a question like why drives you crazy. At some point, it drives parents crazy, too, when you have young children. And they just, why, why, why everything? Because they haven't yet learned that that's just the way things are. The world is very new to them. And so they're still trying to determine the whys for a lot of the things that we do. So we talk about the subject of prayer. If we don't start with why? we move by default to the things that we always default to if we don't ask why. That is, first of all, habit and routine. Uh, if you pray and you haven't really delved into the why, my guess is you'll pray like in your earliest recollection of, of someone praying, maybe a father, maybe a mother, maybe a, uh, someone that you look up looked up to. My guess is that your prayer life, by default, would move to do like they did. Words, phrases, uh, the way in which the length of prayer, the addressing of God, learn behavior. So it it easily defaults to habit and routine. Number two, if you don't ask why, it moves to tradition. It Just just do the way I've done it because that's the way I've always done it. And I sort of get mad if you do it any other way. We don't really have a why for it. But if we start to think about why and not that traditions are bad, don't misunderstand me. But if we don't ask why we we get stuck in traditions and we we can move to a dangerous point there where we honor tradition This is what the Pharisees did. They honored their traditions of a higher importance than the than the law, which they knew. But they, they had walked away from why. And the third is, the third thing you default to is comfort. You do what's comfortable. You do what feels natural. Uh, you don't want to break away and out of that too much. If you don't get, start asking why, this is where your personal prayer life can end up. I start with that because I say we've, we've got to um, get at the root of what Jesus was doing when he prayed and what he was doing when he taught others to pray and when he taught about prayer. Without why we pray, we default to the same things. We pray out of habit. Um, And there's good habits and bad habits, by the way. I'm not necessarily saying that if you get up every morning and at uh, 6, 11 a.m., Uh, You go to the same spot and you principally pray in the same way and you, you just fill in different names and different requests. Is there anything wrong with that? No. No, at least you're in the discipline of doing it. You've formed enough where you've done a habit. That's better than not doing it at all. You can fall in tradition, praying only in ways that you've heard others pray using terminology and words and Phrases that are not naturally yours. The the language that you and you use in private prayer or public prayer is different from the way you talk at any other time of the day. And you can pray where you just pray comfortably. And to me, that's meaningless. You uh, using meaningless words. Uh, you might as well, you know, if you're leading a public prayer, get up and pray over a, a recipe and read exactly word for word a recipe for chocolate chip cookies. Because you're you're just saying words that have no meaning. There's no reverence there, no sincerity, no heart, and certainly no mind. And so if we don't address the why, we we forget um, and we get into a rut. Why is force us. To think and they force focus, force us to focus on the meaning of the action and the discipline as opposed to just the discipline itself. Now turn to Matthew chapter six. We started out the series. With what we called the Lord's what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer what we called the disciples' prayer. And in that prayer, we learned a model, not a, we said, not a mantra, not something we have to repeat word for word. If you do, that's okay. But know that Jesus and the apostles prayed in other ways too. So this was, this was sort of the how. This week, we're jumping a few verses prior to the prayer, in Matthew anyway, and looking at the why. So we're going to look at at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And this is basically the text where we'll hang out. Read with me, uh, not out loud. (laughs) And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many, many words. Do not be like them. Where your father knows what you need before you ask him. If We start out with the question of why pray. I can think of lots of reasons that are my wisdom. I can say, well, you want to. You should want a relationship with your father like you hopefully want a relationship with your earthly father. You desire that time, that conversation. You could say that you need to. You need to for courage and the strength of God. You could say that you need to to do things that you can't do. Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, verses 17 through 29, that story there the disciples are called to drive out a demon, they can't do it and they're arguing and Jesus is brought into the picture what what's going on here and so he drives out the demon the the apostles say why couldn't we drive it out what Jesus says there is very interesting he says this kind can only be driven out by prayer you could say you need to because you need to overcome yourself talked about how the Jesus and the apostles prayed Uh, before he was betrayed in the garden. And he said to them, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You want to. You need to. It's good for you. could be a, a third wise reason anytime you give up your own control, which is what you should be doing in prayer, anytime you relinquish and surrender your will to the Father's, that's good. But those are not the reasons Jesus gave. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. When I study these, this passage of verses, I see principally two reasons According to Jesus, for are praying. And one, because God sees. Do not think that you have to stand out in public on the street corners to be seen by men. Those who do that, they all the reward they're going to get from prayer, they got it. It's like they used a cheap imitation knockoff. Of what their prayer could have been. Now, Jesus said, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. If you want to flip over, fine. If you just want to hang out in Matthew chapter six, that's okay too. Uh, I'm going to read to you from Second Corinthians chapter four verse 18, and just keep this parallel thought in mind about prayer. So, uh, 2 Corinthians four eighteen, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul would later back up and affirm what Jesus is saying is that Everything that is invisible trumps everything which is visible. And we worry so much about what we can see and what we can prove. And what Jesus calls us to is something that is far deeper and far more powerful. So we pray to God because he sees that which we cannot see. Secondly, we pray to him because he hears. This is verse 7. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. People ask, I know your Bible. Why pray if God knows? We've already talked about that some. But what Jesus is getting to here is God sees you and God hears you. Prayers like, prayer life is so important that even if your cell phone's on and you forgot to turn off the ringer, you can still pray. Prayer life is one of those things that you can easily fake, gloss over. You can go for weeks, months. God forbid, years without specifically, intimately, personally speaking to and with the Lord. I wonder, I wonder how many of our churches are filled with such people. I don't think God sees that. I think it's more, uh, I don't think that angers him. I think that saddens him as it would any normal parent who had a child uh, that the, they had a broken relationship with. They never saw the child. They never heard the child, from the child. We pray because, and this is the root reason, if you're following along, the root reason for prayer is because we trust the Father. We trust the Father. That is what prayer comes all down to. It when I think about, and I've told you, I've, I've struggled personally with prayer uh, in my spiritual walk. Let me tell you, I, it comes down to this. I struggle with a trust in God. Not because I don't believe he's not capable. Just because the nature of my personality is I want to do. I want to, you know, give me a checklist. Give me some things to do. Prayer feels like, gosh, I'm, I'm, not, it, I'm not saying this is the way it is. I'm saying it feels like I'm not doing anything. And so for people who are doers, it can be very hard. But prayer comes down to an issue of trustworthiness of the father. I've, I've told this story before with my own children, um, but we're driving along. We're going to a place we've gone many times, and I'll take a different route. And from the back seat, they'll say, Dad, this isn't the way. Dad, you're going the wrong way. And my response is, Do you trust your dad? To to, to, to build that within them to understand that dad knows what's going on. When we pray, we are saying, Father, I don't know how it works. Father, I'm yielding control. I trust you. If we trust the father, we'll do, I think, four basic things that are very important. Number one, we'll seek a relationship with him. It's very hard to trust someone that you have no relationship with. Of course, that means more time in the word. That means more time thinking about him. It means more spending time quietly listening to him, not for an audible voice, but for understanding that time with him is quiet, undisturbed, undistracted time to listen to him. If we trust the father, we will, seems kind of silly, trust him more. Uh, Grace is at the age where she is learning trust. So a few months ago, she was on, standing on our bed. I told her, I said, get down, we got to go do this other thing. She said, can I jump to you? Okay, jump to me. Now, the way she wanted to jump to me was to put her hands on my shoulders and then jump. I said, that's not a jump. You got to, you know, you got to jump to me. I'll catch you. I'm right here. I mean, we're talking a distance of maybe 18 inches. But to her, that's a whole world. And it took forever to get her to jump. She did. And now, of course, she wants to do that all the time. Very simple illustration to say we're the same way with God. When you pray to God and when you put a need down and he answers that prayer, what do you naturally do more? Aha, he's answering. He's listening. He cares. He sees. I'm going to do it again. We trust the Father. We will submit to his will. This is the hard one. Because truly, if we don't trust God... Which is something the apostles struggled with over and over again. Many times in scripture, Jesus is saying, you of little faith. What's he saying there? You of little trust. Why don't you trust? It's hard for us to understand that. Um, As we pray, we learn to yield our will more fully and completely to his. Now, there are things in your life which you yield fully and completely to him, right? Because you don't have any problem doing that. It's pretty easy for you. There are other things in your life you will not submit. You refuse. You keep sinning. You keep uh, unyielding. You keep refusing. All right, well, in prayer is the natural alignment of your will to the Father's. And as time proceeds, more of your will will yield to his will. The picture, of course, uh, not directly, but the picture from the movie, The Passion of the Christ, where Jesus, I believe, most fully and completely yielded. Not that he didn't always do it, but this is the biggest struggle. When he even said, I don't want to do this, yet not what I will, but you. Number four, as we pray, as we trust, we will Obey his commands. Okay, let's look at some some scriptures. So I've kind of given you some foundational material here. The reason we do the re, the why the big why fundamentally comes down to we trust the Father or not. And when we pray, we're showing that we believe God sees, and we believe God hears. We get those those things working together. Then these what we're going to talk about. Will make a lot more sense. If we don't, we're going to get some difficulties in praying. And these are the the five basics that I think we don't the reasons we don't. Turn to Luke chapter five, verse sixteen. As you're turning there, I'll read a quote from Andrew Murray. He said about this subject Let the wonderful revelation of a father's tenderness free all young Christians from every thought of secret prayer. Well, again, tonight we're talking about private prayer, of secret prayer as a duty or burden, and lead them to regard it as the highest privilege of their life, a joy and a blessing. Imagine that you had an appointment uh, with the president, and it was this week. And regardless of your political opinions, uh, you had that appointment. I would imagine you would see it as a, at least an honor to be able to visit the White House And to to be a part of that system of government of the free world and to meet that that man in person would be a privilege and an, an honor. Well, with prayer, we have an appointment with the king of all creation. And I think in the same way that we would prepare for that appointment, want to go to that appointment with joy, Make sure that we have made all the preparations and done everything to free our uh, calendar of anything that would get in the way. So too ought we have the habit of prayer. Now the reason we don't pray usually we just get out of the habit. Luke chapter five sixteen. You're there now. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often he did this. Okay, it was. Can't find this specifically in Scripture, but to me, often it was something Jesus did every day. Again, that's me reading into it, but I believe he understood the value of that appointment. So if you're out of the habit of prayer, we're going to talk about getting into the habit. Number two, our humanity. When Jesus told his apostles in the garden in Matthew 26, they were struggling with what? Fleshly temptation. Sleep. They were struggling with the power of the flesh that needed rest. The spirit doesn't need rest. Spirit can go all the time. This is why folks who are of an older demographic, when you talk to them, they will say, I don't feel, you know, physically I feel older. But on the inside, I feel just as young as I always did. Well, you have an eternal spirit. 70, 80, 90, 100 years, what's that? It's a a second. But your flesh needs continual rejuvenation in various ways. Your humanity can prevent you from praying, just like it did the apostles. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation, he said. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Your humanity can keep you from praying, your flesh. Number three, your hard heart. Turn to Mark chapter 7 verse 6. Mark chapter 7 verse 6. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship in vain. Their teachers teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Hard hearts will prevent you from praying. Sin, control issues, even religious issues which Strikes me as odd that religious issues could keep people from praying. Oh, you might move your lips, but your hearts are far from him. Number four, hang-ups. Turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. <clears throat> uh, there is the parable of the heart. Well, it's not exactly called that in Scripture, but in scripture, most versions call it the parable of the sower. I'm not going to read the whole story, but look at verse 22. He says, the one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth Choke it, making it unfruitful. The worries of life, the issues of life. Your 401k becomes a 201k and all of a sudden you're not worried about spiritual things anymore. That's a problem. We get hung up with uh, worry, with doubt, with anxiety These things choke out the word. They choke in in even deeper terms, they choke out our relationship with God. And finally, number five is our hypocrisy. I don't know if you know what May 7th was. May 7th of this past week is annually the National Day of Prayer. I thought it was interesting kind of looking around for different things to read, and I found something that's um, a little long, but I hope you'll bear with me, being a Sunday night crowd. And the author, his name is Matt Walsh, and here's what he writes. Today is a national day of prayer, and I, I think it's a fine and important tradition, but just <clears throat> not just because it encourages prayer, but it encourages people to talk about prayer. That said, of course, every day should be a day of prayer. And you might say our whole lives should be a prayer. He goes on to say, uh, I can tell you honestly that I struggle with prayer. It's not easy for me. It's not that I don't believe in its power or purpose. It's just that I feel like I do not deserve to have God listen to me. I feel like every time I come back to the Lord in prayer, after living and acting as such as a weak, sinful, shameful person, that he's going to say, Oh, so now you want my help? Sorry, not this time. I think this guilt has clouded my prayer life to the extent that sometimes I pray and hear only silence and my own fears bouncing back at me. I know that he does answer and that he never refuses us or turns us away. That's why I have to go back to the scripture. And read two my two favorite passages, the parable of the prodigal son and the story of the penitent thief. These are my favorites for selfish reason, reasons. I see myself in them. Far more than I see myself in any of the biblical heroes and prophets. These are both men who failed and sinned and fell short only to come back and beg for mercy when they had nowhere else to go. And. Their father gave it to them. The mercy of God is a remarkable thing. We can fail him over and over and over and over again. And every time we kneel before him in prayer, he still listens. I thought that was poignant as we're talking about hypocrisy. Because I think that's probably the biggest reason people don't pray. I often say... In my former job, that when I saw a team stop attending, there were deeper issues than the reason they would tell me they weren't attending. Ah, oh, we're busy at sports, so I got other things. There's a deeper issue there. And most oftentimes it had to do with sin, a feeling of hypocrisy. How can I approach God after what I've done? And perhaps some of you feel that way. Don't pray because you think, well, why bother? I'll let the religious guys do it. They never sin. They can handle it for me. Well, your father still wants a relationship with you, much like you fathers out there still want a relationship with your imperfect children who've made mistakes and probably hurt you just the same. He wants that same relationship. All right. Let's go through, back to Matthew chapter 6. Now, I really want to drill down through these uh, four verses, 5, 6, 7, and 8, as we prepare to close out here. When you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites. We understand that there is such a thing as disingenuous, hypocritical prayer, and Jesus is calling us away from that. This is uh, prayer. This is what people get confused, I think. They, they, they say, well, I'm, I'm a hypocrite because of the things I've done. Therefore, I don't pray. Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites. So, why, I mean, how can I undo that? Hypocrites were those who prayed, but they weren't praying to the Father. They were praying basically to themselves. They were basically praying to be noticed, this is what God calls us. If you are in a feel like you've got your own hypocrisy, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't pray to other people. Pray to your father who desperately wants to hear from you and who wants to mend the relationship. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues. By the way, if you're following along, this is on the back side of your sheet so you can... It's your own little commentary there. Write down what I say or write down your own thoughts or draw pictures, whatever. Um, for they loved, this is the second, second one, for they loved to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. That's explanation I give this is a prayer is an iceberg. The largest majority of it should not be seen. And and Jesus spoke about this with other things as well. We'll talk about those. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. It's interesting to me. There are rewarding aspects to prayer. There's rewarding aspects to sincere prayer, but there's also rewarding aspects to insincere prayer. People who do it insincerely, you you know, they live a life just as they want, total rebellion to God, lead some sort of public prayer. And they do that, and uh, and they just go on about their life. Well, they've received their reward in full. They got what they wanted. But for those who choose to have it, the dip deeper, fuller, richer reward to prayer is largely private. It's that beautiful, private, intimate relationship between you and your Creator. Now, I told a story about praying for these books that I wanted and the man coming when I worked at Oklahoma Christian and he, he offered to pay me to take down the setup and I was able to get the books which I had prayed for. The moment that he handed me that $40, he had no idea that anything other than a business transaction was happening. But in my mind, there was a whole spiritual awakening in that 40 $40. The reward of private prayer is in the intimate answering and the knowledge. When you pray for something and you see something, someone says something, you uh, you have those coincidental moments with I believe in and you you know that he's answering, you know that he's hearing. Uh, that's a beautiful reward to a a sincere prayer life, but but verse six. When you pray, go into your room and close the door. And some versions talk about the prayer closet. There are some people who have prayer closets. Maybe some of you do as well. Um, not something I hear talked a lot a whole ba- uh, a whole lot. But let me tell you what I think about. And this is just probably oversimplifying. This is not deep Greek meaning at all. What's well, a closet? A closet's a small space. Or intimate things in your life where you hang your clothes and your shoes, and you know, but it's just the you know, nobody really needs to be in your closet, but maybe you, maybe your spouse. And so, this is what I love about this picture close the door, shut out everything else. Now, I'm not, before you go write me hate mail or email, don't think that I'm saying, Jesus saying, you gotta have a prayer closet. What he's saying here is you've got to have a time, you've got to have a place, you've got to have a meeting place to come and meet with God. If that's on your back deck, fine. If that's in a, your favorite chair at five in the morning, wonderful. If that's sitting at the table drinking coffee, excellent. The main idea is that there's a regular, consistent place for close, personal, intimate, private relationship with God and pray to your father who is unseen. Hebrews 11:6 tells us that the cornerstone of faith is two things, one, believing that he exists, and two, catch this, that he rewards those who seek him. Get that? It's the believing and the rewarding that bring faith together, just like in prayer. Prayer improves your vision because it forces you to focus on things you cannot see. I said a few weeks ago, I wish we could like in that story where his eyes are opened and he sees all these spiritual uh, servants surrounding them and the powers and the spiritual forces. Uh, I said, well, I wish God could do that. And then it occurred to me, he can do that. If we will but meet him for prayer then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus mentions this is interesting fatherly rewards in regard in all throughout chapter 6. In in verse 1 he he talks about this rewarding being done in regard to our giving which too many TV preachers have twisted and violently exegeted for their own selfish purposes. Then he talks about him praying, which is what we're looking at. And then he talks about verse 18 and fasting. And all of these come together. When you do what's done in secret, the father who is in secret rewards you. And there'll be something just between you and him. You know, the title of Steve's column in his bulletin is just between us, which is kind of a lie because it's between us and the 800 plus people on the mailing list. But, but, but that prayer time is just between you and God. Um, the final reward of faith is well done, not well said or well intentioned or well believed. This doesn't mean you're earning salvation. You're already saved. This means you're growing and maturing in faith. You know. My reward to grace was saying, yes, I'll catch you. And I caught her. That's my, now it's kind of a weird reward, but that I caught her. That, that grew her faith. In the same way, when we pray privately, God rewards our faith. Verse 7, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, which I think is a verse that Jesus intended for preachers, but we'll leave that for another time. Meaningless words uttered over and over. Meaningless words gain no meaning by their repetition. Think of the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Uh, I looked up the story. In the, it talked about the prophets. There were lots of people, lots of prayer, if you want to call it that, lots of passion, lots of volume, lots of time. They spent all day there. No response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah steps in, he's one man, he speaks one or two sentences, maybe 30 seconds, no indication of any passion, no cutting himself, no screaming, no hollering, just a sincere, simple prayer. And God answers with absolute, total, full, unequivocable response. Improper prayer seeks the attention only of men. Proper prayer seeks the attention of God. Which you've got and you don't need to keep repeating yourself over and over and over again. Last part. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Prayer is not heard because of who we are. Prayer is heard because of who he is. Right? For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Psalm 139 verse 4 says, Your father knows you very, very well. All right. So I'm going to give you four practical steps very quickly. And then we'll be done with this aspect of praying. How do we do it? Um, number one. and It's not going to be in the PowerPoint. I'm sorry. You just have to listen. Number one on practice is flip the page back over. You got to decide you're going to do it. I mean, talking about prayer and preaching about prayer and all the verses about prayer. ain't going to do anything if you don't. Start praying. So you got to decide you're going to do it. Okay? Make an appointment. Put it on your calendar. If you're an iPhone junkie like myself, just put her in there. Daily recurring appointment. Find a consistent place and time. I don't care if you do it in the chair. I heard one person tell me they pray in the shower, which is which is awesome because hopefully you do that every day. But it gives them time to think and time to pray and uh, some people pray while they drive. So turn on the radio or talk radio or the weather, or whatever, just shut it off. Be in silence and pray to God. Fine. I don't care. I don't care. Pick whatever you want to do, whatever sounds plausible to you. Um, or find somebody that you know is a good prayer. I know Brenda Heller is a wonderful prayer. I know Roy Helm is a wonderful prayer. I can't even list all the wonderful prayers. We got lots of them. Go ask. Ask an elder how they, how they do this. OK, and, and they'll give you some practical suggestions. Number three, pray directly. Don't babble around it. Just say what you want to say and then say it. In, in the speaking world, the, the joke is, you know, the introduction is you tell them what you're going to tell them. The body is you tell them. And the conclusion is you told them what you told them. You can cut all that out and just pray what you're going to pray. And number four, develop the habit. Now, this is purely my idea. Um, I just want to try to get us to where we're doing it. I know so many people have said I struggle with it. I struggle with it, I struggle with. It. So here's what I'm going to do to help you. struggle. Uh, those of you, the John Dunham uh, disciples, please arise. And what I'm going to ask you to do, I think he's already explained this, but they are going around and they are passing around little bags of beads. Just going to pass them down the row there. I'm going to ask you to take one, okay? This would be kind of a homework assignment, okay? So you're going to pass these down, and as you take this, here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to take your bead, and your homework is to hold on to it for the week. I really would prefer that you put it in your pocket, but someplace where you're going to run into it every day. I say my pocket. Not my pocket, but in your pocket. Because every day I come home and at the end of the day, I empty my pockets onto my dresser. I put all the stuff that I've collected throughout the day and I sort through it. And So my idea was that you're going to run into this bead every day. And this bead will be a reminder to Matthew chapter six, verses five through eight. The question it should pop in your mind is. Do I trust God? And if yes, did I spend time with him today? I'm not talking about the general sense. I'm talking about the specific. Did I make an appointment? I don't care if you make that appointment two minutes long. But what Jesus teaching here it is so simple and yet it almost def- continues to elude us at its simplicity. So don't make it so complex. Do you trust God? And if so, have you talked with him today? And from there, you know, however you set up your appointment, just set it consistently. Try to do it at the same time. Try to do it in the same place. And try to spend the same amount of time. Okay. Now, this is just a simple Practical thing that if you have gone through this, say, man, I'm sure convicted by this. I sure wish I could do something about it. This is a goal to help you this week, maybe weeks beyond, to get into the habit. Just use this bead. and Whenever you run across it, that's the thing you're to ask. Do I trust the Father? And if so, did I spend time with him in prayer today? All right. Thank you, bead passer Is there anyone that does not currently have a bead? Okay. Just one? Try to keep it with you all this week. and Whenever you run across it, think of Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. I think it would be remiss of us if we did not close in prayer. Father, we love you. We know that you love us. We are thankful that we can come to you in this avenue of prayer. We are thankful that Jesus showed us how to pray, taught us how to pray. And Father, now it lies within our hands to pray. We know that there are some of us who have not talked with you in a good long time and that you await to hear from them may this week be a meeting of seven beautiful reunions and reminders that you love us, that you care for us, that you see all of us, and that you hear us. Thank you, Father, for hearing us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Tonight, if there is any need of the congregation, if you do not know Christ, if you have not put on Christ, or if you're struggling in your relationship with Christ, please come. We love to help you. Need be, we'll pray for you. If you have any need, come as we stand and sing.